I'm speaking with Derek Moore. And Derek, you helped me plan my will. And I know a lot of people don't want to talk wills because that means that you're going to die, perhaps. But we're all going to die at some point. And it would be helpful if we had our assets in order. When do people need to, to decide to get a will? What, what are the deciding factors? Well, I think anybody that has titled assets needs to have a will. So if you have a house, if you have uh, a bank account, if you have a brokerage account, stocks, bonds, uh, a lot of young families, once they start having children, uh, even if they don't necessarily have titled assets, and, and pretty much everybody has a bank account, but uh, once you have children, being able to designate a guardian for those children in case something happened to uh, you and your spouse so that there's someone in charge of your children and raising them. Well, of course it's going to of course it's going to be our family, Derek, isn't that the way it works? It would be it would be my parents or Jim's parents. Of course it would, right? Well, the court's going to get to pick and there is a, a statute that designates who and in in what order uh, people are going to be appointed. And you're right. Uh, in y'all's situation, it would be your parents. But which set? And what if we don't want the parents to be? What if they're too old to take care of little kids? I mean, there's a lot of factors. The court then decides who's next in line, and it may not be who you pick. That's true. It's it's according to the statute. Uh, and that's one thing that I talk to clients about is uh, I, I have young families typically want to put their parents in there as the as the guardian. And the tough choice is, which set of parents first? His parents, her parents. Um, if there's uh, second marriages in there, then it really gets sticky. But what I remind them is, when your child is 18, how old will your parents be? Or, or better yet, 16 when they start driving. Right. And are your parents going to be able to stay up and keep up with all the activities and dating and late nights and everything that the teenagers need from a parent? Are, are your parents at that age, as grandparents, going to be able to take on those responsibilities? Or is there someone else in the family or friends that, uh, that would raise the children the way you want them raised uh, and, and be able to, to take care of them like you'd want them taken care of? And if we don't leave a will behind, Derek, it is up to the court to appoint somebody to do that. And there's no one left to dispute it, correct? I mean, we don't we, – we can't – we can designate someone to take care of our children, but then the next thing is we have to designate money to take care of those kids as well. And do do people do all of that together? I mean, yes, they want to know where their kids are going to go, but do they do they think about the rest of their lives? Because there's more than just those kids that they're going to leave behind. There's assets that go with them that need to pay for those children, correct? That, that's right. Uh, we We can do a standalone designation of guardian where it's just a simple form that says, here are my children, these are the people I want to be guardian of the children in this order. And that's fine and that's good. Uh, typically people are going to put the guardian designation though in a will so that you can also say where your assets are going to go, how they're going to be left for the benefit of the children, whether it's in a custodial account for the children or whether it's in a trust for the children uh, so that you can say who's going to be in charge of those assets uh, who's going to be making the decision of how to spend those assets to take care of raising your children? When we talk about families making wills, um, there's also single people that need to make wills, or older people, younger people. Everybody 
probably you said has a checking account, but when you have a home, if I were single and I didn't have a will at all, who then would take care of my assets or sell my assets or get my funds? Does the court appoint, I mean, what does the court do then if I don't have a will? Well, if you don't have a will, then what you're going under is heirship. And Texas has the, the laws of descent and distribution. And so there's a statute uh, under the Texas laws that says who gets your assets, depending on whether it's a separate property asset or a community property asset. There's a statute that talks about the order of who gets those assets from you. Who, who are your heirs? If you're, if you're a single person, then you're obviously not married. Uh, you may have children, and those children would be your heirs. If you don't have children, if it's children, grandchildren, etc., then it's going to go back up to your parents. And, you know, a parent may be alive, may not be alive. And, you know, the, it gets really complicated depending on what type of assets it is, uh, the assets are and who the heirs by the statute, uh, who those heirs are. And it may not be the people that you would necessarily want to be receiving those assets. What if, um, you know, common law marriage is more common sometimes than we like to think. People live together for quite a few years. People think that they're married. They're not. Um, they may have separate families. Someone um, dies unexpectedly, and then there's a fight for You've seen a fight for assets before. It's mine. It's hers. It's his. It's ours. Is there a way to resolve that? Right. It, under any of those circumstances, you take care of deciding who gets your assets, who you want to benefit, by, laying, by setting out a will that lays out the specifics of here's who I want to receive this portion of my estate. And just because you're, you live with someone for a long time doesn't mean that you're going to be the next in line. That's right. Uh, if, if you are a common law spouse, then you are entitled to certain rights and privileges. The state of Texas uh, will give you the benefit of the homestead, the, the home. Um, you'll have some other benefits as the, as the spouse. Derek, I'm sure you see all types of different families. Blended families now with divorces. Families maybe have multiple family members that they want to get certain things. Children are a benefit of, of all these things, and, and they need to be considered. But what about the, the assets? I know families can get really nasty and greedy over assets, and a lot of times the reading of the will is really the most traumatizing thing to find out who they really left things to. Do you see that in, in, in with people coming to talk to you, of people wanting to leave things to make people maybe not in the right order or it's going to surprise the whole family? These are things that you need to talk about, isn't it? It, it is something to talk about. And when I see that, when I have a client come in that wants to do that, uh, the first thing that I do is talk to them about will contests, what it's going to take for the beneficiaries, the family, uh, that wants to come in and challenge the way that, that they're leaving their assets, their estate. Is it hard to challenge a will? It, it is hard to challenge a will. Uh, typically, you have to prove that there was either undue influence or that there was incapacity. The, the, the testator, the person who made the will, uh, didn't have the testamentary capacity to understand that they were making a will and that they were doing it in a manner that wasn't uh, appropriate. Uh, uh, undue influence would be where someone forces someone else to make a document. Now, I know you see that on TV shows, but does that really happen? You do see it from time to time where where you'll have a, a child, 
you know, there's a family that has, you know, multiple children. One of the children uh, is taking care of mom or dad, uh, isolates them, tells them you're not going to see any of the rest of the family, you're not going to see grandkids ever again unless you leave me, you know, X, Y, Z. And so in that kind of a circumstance, you can't do that, and that is subject to a will contest. And the courts will throw out a will if, if it's proven uh, that, that there was undue influence or lack of testamentary capacity. But otherwise, it's pretty hard to undo a will. Uh, if, if mom or dad wants to cut out a child, uh, they can do that. that. That's their choice. There's no expectancy of inheritance in the state of Texas. We're allowed to leave our property to whoever we want to, whether it's a charity, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a child uh, or a neighbor or whoever we want. Right. When people are considering their wills, how far off, I mean, if, if I have, my kids are grown and, and I come back, I get to change my will as my life changes. So maybe I don't leave everything to the people I'm leaving it to now if my kids are grown and, and self-supported. That all changes. How often should people take a look at their will or see what they've done and, and review that and go back and maybe make some adjustments? I like for clients to review their will every year. And so I send a letter out to my clients on an annual basis and give them some examples of things that might have happened during the year. Okay, what might have happened? What might have happened during the year that I need to reassess what I've done? Well, there could be marriages, there could be divorces, there could be deaths, there could be births, there could be uh, acquisition of a new business, there could be um, inheritance, there could be uh, a myriad of things where financial situations changed, family has changed, uh, the people that you were leaving uh, assets to uh, either have died or become incapacitated or have fallen out of grace. Mm -hmm. So you've changed your mind, you want to make changes. Is it difficult to change a will once you put all that together and and does it cost a lot to make a will? I know everybody's trying to be cost conscious in today's economy, but this is something that kind of transcends that budget. Um, it can be a budget item. It doesn't have to be revisited all the time, but it does need to be taken care of in order to properly provide for your family. Right. And, and typically, once someone sets up a will, uh, unless there's really a dramatic change in the family or financial situation, every five years, that will probably needs to at least be looked at for changes in, in the laws, uh, whether it's tax laws, whether it's uh, state laws uh, concerning uh, the will. Um, but as far as being able to change it, once it's in place, uh, depending on the level of changes, it's usually not very hard. Um, wills can be changed by what's called a codicil which is basically an amendment to the will, or it can be changed by just redoing the entire will. Um, you know, if you're using the same attorney, uh, typically the same attorney that drew up the will is going to go back in, make the changes on the old will, and have you re-sign it. So it's just one complete document. Uh, if you're changing attorneys, then it's usually easier to use a codicil. Okay. so that you don't have to start all over at the beginning with the will again. What if people think they don't have enough to worry about a will? They, their kids are grown, they've just got to dispense of some, maybe some assets or a house or something, and they're going to write it on a piece of paper and they're going to call it a will. Does that hold in today's world? Texas law does recognize holographic wills, which are handwritten wills. The will has to be fully in the testator's handwriting, has to be signed by the testator. Um, those are valid wills. 
they're really cheap to do up front. They usually are very expensive to probate at the backside because people don't normally use the right language. They don't, uh, they don't know what the laws for uh, probate and estate planning are. And things that they say in the will may not work exactly the way that they had planned for them to. Because the law supersedes that. That's right. We'll, we'll rely on what the law says. And so at the end of the day, you may have uh, cut out uh, a child. You may not have provided uh, for independent administration, and so it has to go through uh, a court-supervised administration, which is a lot more expensive. Uh, there's a lot of reasons, a lot, there are a lot of places where uh, a homemade will or a will that's not prepared by an attorney uh, fails to do exactly what you really wanted it to and ends up costing your family a whole lot more uh, at the probate than it should. Now, when you talk about the probate, what is the probate and, and what does it do for us? Okay. Once you signed a will, it's in place, it's valid but it's not finished. Uh, once you pass away, that will has to be filed with the court and the judge has to sign off and say that it is your last will and testament, that it was validly signed and that uh, it's in order. Well, what if we die and we don't have a will in place and I leave a couple bank accounts and some checks behind, who gets those and who dispenses of that? And if you don't have a will, then that's the intestate laws again. And just like with a, with, a, with a will, you're going to go through probate. And that probate is going to be offering uh, your airship information to the court and asking the court to sign an order uh, acknowledging who the heirs are. Uh, without a will, going through airship uh, is a lot more expensive at court. So everybody goes through probate. When you die, your stuff... Your assets, your house, your whatever goes through both probate. If you have titled assets that are probate assets, then you're going to have to do something to transfer those titles, okay. and that's usually going through a probate at the courthouse. Um, Non-probate assets are things like life insurance or retirement accounts, anything that has a written beneficiary designation where you sign that written beneficiary designation during a lifetime, that's a non-probate asset. So that would automatically transfer without a will? That's correct. It goes okay. directly to the designated beneficiary. Now, you want to make sure that that designated beneficiary is correct and is the person you want it to be. And if that person dies, who gets it then? Okay. Those are things that, you know, you're able to take care of cleaner with, with a will. We talk about estate planning, and you also do your fair share of estate planning because all this kind of feeds in together. Tell me what's going on about the laws and how they're changing with estate planning this year and what are we expected in the future? There's, there's two sets of laws that apply to estate planning. You're going to have your state laws. So for us, it's Texas law. And that's going to control the will and, and how it's handled and what's legal in it. And then you're going to have the federal estate tax law, which is the taxes that are going to be owed if your estate is large enough. What is large enough right now? Well, for state tax purposes right now, it's not a necessarily a good year to ask that question. Um, we don't have a federal estate tax so far this year. So if I were to die this year, what does that mean? At this point, uh, because Congress has not acted this year, you'd be able to pass all of your assets to whomever you wanted to, estate tax-free. 
we've we've. What, what is the estate tax normally, and why am I being taxed if I bought things after tax dollars? You're smiling, so this is these are loaded questions. These are loaded questions. Okay. Let me let me try and answer that. Um, back when I started practicing uh, in 1995, the estate tax exemption was six hundred thousand. So if you had an estate that was greater than 600000 you had to file an estate tax return and potentially had to pay federal estate taxes. That exemption since then has gone up. Uh, it's, we've had a couple of different laws that have been passed. Our, our last law that we were on pushed it up to $3.5 million as, as the exemption as of last year. So that means we can have assets up to $3.5 million and not be taxed on them? That was last year. And then... This year, since Congress didn't change the law last year, we, we went to zero. So there's no federal estate tax this year so far. Congress has said that they may come back in and do a retroactive estate tax that applies back to January 1st. They may give us the option to either use the estate tax that they want to put in retroactive or have a zero estate tax. The problem with the zero estate tax is that they basically substituted the estate tax for uh, capital gains tax because in the past we've had uh, at date of death there was a step up or step down to fair market value so there wouldn't be capital gains if you sold assets or capital losses. Yeah, why would that be fair to, I guess, when you have to sell stocks in case of stocks and the price went up, which is why you would invest in stocks, then you're paying tax on the profit of that if you die, correct? Well, typically, no. Typically, the way that our estate tax laws have worked is that at date of death, we're going to take all of your assets and assess fair market value as of date of death. That's your house at fair market value, stocks, whatever you have. Right. So no matter what you paid for it, whatever the going market rate is at date of death, that becomes the new basis for those assets. So if you sell it, there's no capital gain. There's no capital loss. You're selling it at your basis. Okay. Um, under this year's law, only this year, you don't have that step up or step down in basis. We have an exemption that applies as far as basis is concerned, and it's I think it's a $1.3 million, an extra $3 million if it's assets going to spouse that you can adjust the basis on. So you have... So if you die this year, your heirs would get everything up to that value with no estate tax? Right, no estate tax, and if they sell it, then their basis is market value. But if the assets exceed that, as far as capital gains purposes are concerned, and you sell those assets, then you are going to be paying capital gains tax. How long is this going to last? Is This, this is a good thing. This, this is a strange thing. It's a mess. Your accountants, your uh, broker, financial advisors, your attorneys, uh, it's very difficult to deal with the potential of having to track down everybody's basis, particularly on assets that may have been in the family for, you know, decades. Um, but the this law is only in place for this year. There's a sunset provision in this law. So if Congress doesn't take action before the end of the year, then January 1st of 2011, we're going to go back to a million-dollar exemption for federal estate taxes, and we'll go back to having 
a fair market value as far as basis at date of death. So that's not good because you're lowering the estate tax limit. Because the estate tax limit was $3.5 million, and this year it's unlimited, yes, it is a reduction back down to a $1 million. Um, Congress hasn't said whether they're going to let that go into place or not. Why would they have let this happen, and, and what's the goal of all this, do you think? Basically, most of the uh, folks that were watching the estate tax and what Congress does felt like they were going to take action before the end of 2009. And because of all the health care issues that were going on and pushing through that legislation, it, w it wasn't dealt with. It got put on a back burner. And so we got to this year, 2010, which for 10 years, we didn't think that we would ever get to the point where there would be no estate tax. But here we are. And we know there's a sunset provision. And we know that if nothing happens this year, that it goes to a million dollars next year. Do you think they're doing that on purpose so it goes back down to a million dollars and they don't have to deal with it? Perhaps? Perhaps. There's different factions up, up in Washington, D.C. right now. Some of them want it to go to a million dollars to help pay for some of the legislation that's going okay. through. Uh, some of them have said they want it to be at two million. Some say three and a half. Let's put it back to where it was. Uh, but if no action is taken, then they're going to be getting more taxes just out of default. Maybe. And again, it's hard, it's hard to determine that from, from my perspective. I know that I've read some reports where the capital gains tax on assets that are passing this year may actually be equal to or more than the estate tax that they would have gotten. So maybe no different. It, it may not be. It, it's going to hit people differently. If we have assets, though, we need to start looking at what's going to happen to them, and we need to look at our wills. This isn't probably an easy conversation for some people to have, but it's a necessary conversation for almost everybody. That's right. It, it is. Any, anybody that uh, is planning on... Uh, no, 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 no. you're planning on dying anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, um, basically, anybody that has assets, is they need to make plan as to what they want to happen to those assets at their date of death. We're all going to die. There, there's no question about that. It's what's going to happen to the stuff that you've been accumulating during your life. Where do you want it to go? And Derek, you can sit down with us and give us the questions that we need to answer. And, and you kind of walk us through um, looking at our assets, seeing where we want them to go, and you can discuss that with us and get us talking about those things because those need to be discussed. That's right. That's right. We I'm, I'm happy to sit down and visit with, with folks and come through the details of what's, uh, what they need to be thinking about as far as their estate plan. It's important that for estate planning that the documents do what you want them to do. They need to be what you're trying to accomplish, not necessarily just a, a set document that everybody has to fit into. These are customized documents. and. Depending on your family situation and your assets, your document's going to look different than someone else's. And you need to know what it's doing and make sure that you understand that so that when circumstances change, you know that you need to get those documents changed as well. Derek, how do we get a hold of you to ask you more information? Because I think people don't understand the ramifications of not doing anything. I hope we've demonstrated that. There, there are huge ramifications if you do nothing. How, how can they get a hold of you and start down this path? Well, 
I'm an attorney at the Pain Law Group, and we have a website. It's www.thepainlawgroup.com. Um, I don't know how we're going to get all that spelled out. Sure. Uh, our phone number here is 979-776-9800. Uh, you can email me at more, M-O-O-R-E, at thepainlawgroup.com. Derek, thanks so much for your time. And we'll be back with more of the Debbie Davis Show in just a moment. 